Yat e she e Britney Bitsili inchia, kia ani nishle, tanazatni bashishin, tabaha e dashache, ado kilchini e dashanale. Hello, my name is Britney Bitsili. I am of the Towering House clan, born for the Tango clan. My maternal grandfather is of the Water's Edge clan, and my paternal grandfather is of the Red House People clan. In today's podcast, I'm going to discuss the importance of bringing awareness to the serious missing and murdered indigenous woman problem that has been sweeping across Native American reservations in both the US and Canada. I'm going to read an excerpt from my friend Kayla's Facebook post that made me so much more aware of the everlasting abduction and trafficking problems that happen on my Navajo reservation. So yesterday, I never made it back to Farmington. I was almost kidnapped. I was traveling over Buffalo Pass or LA Mountain when there was a black van that pulled ahead of me after the picnic area. It was going about 10 to 15 miles per hour. Going so slow, my mind started to race. All of a sudden, it stopped. Two Mexican males got out and approached my vehicle, both in their mid-30s, One was bald, but both were covered in tattoos. I stepped on the gas and drove out of the mountain as fast as I could. They didn't follow very far. I hit one of them on the side. I called the cops, but it took them over an hour to arrive to me. Everything happened so quick. According to the US Department of Justice, Indigenous women are murdered at a rate 10 times higher than the national average. I never liked driving alone on the reservation, even before I knew the statistic, and I swore to my father that I would never travel during the night because of drunk drivers. The sad reality is, the missing and murdered Indigenous woman, or MMIW issue, is only the tip of the iceberg. In situations like these, calling the cops is useless because they don't arrive until at least an hour later and longer if you are in a rural part of the reservation. Jurisdiction has long been a problem for reservations and for a reservation like mine, one that's larger than West Virginia, the problem persists. After examining the few articles I could find on this issue, I came to an easy conclusion. The conclusion being, continued structural violence of indigenous women and girls is a result of embedded colonialism. I would like to share this spot-on statement that I found in an article that surrounds the structural analysis of the issue. The history of colonialism, the legacy of trauma, and the structural violence underlying the theft of land death by disease, attempted genocide, racism, inequality of income, disparities in wealth, dilapidated housing, mediocre education, rampant unemployment, homelessness, and poor health indicators, among others, serve to provide the conditions in which the extant victimization experienced by indigenous peoples goes largely unnoticed.
The institutional violence that we female Native Americans face is also a result of a failed criminal justice system, as I have touched on before. It is the modern colonial laws and policies that promote the idea that the violence happens to indigenous people more because of their own individualized decisions. This belief is simply built or influenced by the institutionalized colonial construct that every American or Native American faces. Now, if we remember in the story, my friend Kayla was simply trying to make it back to her home in Farmington, New Mexico. Did this situation happen because an individual decided to go home at night? No, the situation happened because indigenous women and girls are being targeted at a much higher rate than any other ethnicity. According to the Urban Indian Health Institute, the National Crime Information Center reported that in 2016, there were 5,712 reports of missing American Indian and Alaska Native women and girls. Though the U.S. Department of Justice's Federal Missing Persons database only logged 116 cases. This statistic is not surprising to someone from a reservation. The main source used for spreading information on a missing person is primarily social media on platforms like Facebook or Instagram. There is little to no representation for this issue on a national scale and not enough on a local level to help bring these sisters home. The families of the victims instantly turn into private detectives in hopes that they can find their loved ones or at least find answers. Thankfully, there have been multiple organizations and advocates that have begun to comprise a database in an effort to correct the logged cases related to MMIW. In 2017, the Urban Indian Health Institute began a study that sought to make up for the cases that haven't been reported. They too use social media as a resource. The study collected data in 71 cities across 29 states and found that more than 95% of the cases were never covered by national or international media. This specific statistic really hurt me as a female Native American. My first thought was, why doesn't anyone care? Well, for the most part, they're not educated on the matter and there is no way for them to be exposed to the issue unless there is a news article or story for them to read. I will continue to spread awareness on this topic in hopes to reaching a wider audience and creating the conversation that needs to happen. As Charlotte Bunch once said, as a human rights issue, the effort to end violence against women becomes a government's obligation, not just a good idea.